0: What's up, bingers? Thanks so much for listening, rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. After airing over 50 episodes and over 300,000 downloads, I'm absolutely loving all the social media posts about people finding new shows to binge on through True Crime Binge. It's been an absolute pleasure for me to get to know so many amazing True Crime podcasters. And today's guest is no exception. Continuing on with our mission to bring more awareness to the epidemic of domestic violence in today's society, During Domestic Violence Awareness Month, today's guest shares with us a tragic story. As a former police officer, our guest was called to respond to a domestic violence incident. And as we see so many times, the woman who was being abused decided not to press charges against her abuser. And as we also see, unfortunately, so many times, she was eventually murdered by that same abuser. The situation, like so many others, is tragic and senseless. And it is our hope that by hearing how these situations can escalate, that maybe we might just save a life. My guest is the host of the Beanham Valley Road podcast. Please welcome Jamie Poultz. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next True Crime Binge. Man, I'm super excited about this. The first thing you said to me was, good day. You have a a uh, very thick australian accent at least to my american ears. uh i think you're the third australian guest or second at least that we've had on the show and no one has had a real good australian accent until you.
1: oh really? oh that's quite the honor. i take it you're you're <laughs> born and born and bred in australia. yeah, born and bred there. uh well here, i should say. <laughs> right but yeah, i got to say, it's um, really exciting for me to talk to you too, because I'm a massive fan of Truth and Justice and have been-
0: Oh, really? Yeah, yeah.
1: Right from the start, I've listened to pretty much every season. There might be one season I haven't listened to, but yeah, listen to them all. Awesome. Yeah. So it's really, it's quite weird seeing you now. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> In my, so I, you missed the
0: conversation with me with Erica right before you got on. I forgot my I, I'm, I'm planning on doing this uh, goofy YouTube thing with my cousin. So I bought a green screen. Yeah, this is not my office or studio that you see behind me. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so I have this like goofy. As soon as soon she She's like, what the hell? Where are you? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of. Yeah. It was too late to put it out. But do I look very fancy? Like I like I, I work in a very fancy office. Or do I look like I'm sitting in front of a green screen? I think more the other more like nah. I'm sitting in front of a green screen.
1: No, it's um, – so you're sitting in front of a green screen right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's not what my studio looks like. <laughs> so I tricked you. It worked. Never mind. Disregard. I own Ugh. a 1,500-square-foot uh, studio that complete with a couch and reclining chairs
1: in the back. Look at that, mate. It's even like a little dining area at the back there, it looks like. Right, right.
0: <laughs> so yeah. this is – I always loved, uh talking to people from other parts of the world because you are so – you're in a whole different day than than me. So you, you said – we both, I was almost late. You were almost late. We both made it, both mm. for the same reason. So I, 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 you have two boys, right?
1: I got three boys. Three boys. So yeah.
0: I, I, the same. I have, I, well, I have two and my wife has a, as a, a, a boy and a girl. But, uh, my children almost made me late. And you said, <laughs> now my, <laughs> mine, my, uh, my oldest boy is 16, is, is not much of, has never done much with sports. And he started playing tennis and he is, Lost every single match the whole season. And ah, this one I was like, I w- and I go to every one. And this one I was like, dude, I got to leave at 5.30. I got to, I got to do an interview. And, uh, of course he, he was winning this one and went into overtime. So I stuck it out and then he won his. So my son Quentin won his first match. Today. Oh,
1: awesome. That's great. Yeah,
0: he's pretty good on it. And you're, you were sending kids off to school this morning.
1: Yeah. Well, um, it's school holidays at the moment. They're two week breaks. So it's, um, School holidays, but we send them to like they got they do excursions and outdoor activities, you know, for kids that their parents work. So we send them like twice a week there, um, holiday oh, care basically. Cool. Yeah. So they just go and do stuff and yeah, they have fun. Yeah. they nice, How old are your kids? I've got a seven year old, a five year old, and a one year old. Oh, you got a long road ahead of you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've just been doing like some sleep training with the one year old now and it's, yeah it's pretty hectic, but um sleep training are you're you training him to sleep like at night yeah because hes just he's just a booby monster he just wants to <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to drink all night and he 'll only go to sleep if renee 's settling him, and yeah it 's just a nightmare for her, so you know last night <laughs> he was trying to suck her arm. <laughs> <laughs> i was i was gonna say you what you just said sounded like me in college until the arm-sucking part to want to drink all night and stay awake. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so he's but he's getting better like the first few nights was like just a tantrum for four hours and, and now he's just you know he's he's coming good so he's sleeping much better now and yeah so i think it's just the habit of waking up and wanting to boob at night Just gonna get out of that habit that's about it right so. Right, you has got to take it take it away. I did
0: uh, when my kids were little. I did. I, I'm a very like analytical person, so I like read books on how to get the kids to sleep. I don't remember what the book was called, but it was like this process where you would you would wake them up to feed them and not let them wake up screaming, so they were used to. So they would like they would like nurse in their sleep. Mine were both on bottles, uh, and then slowly you just start to stretch the time out, and then take away the middle of the night feeding, and then you get a, your first full night sleep, which amounts to
1: like five hours. But yeah, was that save our? That's sleep? a win. Was that book called Save Our Sleep? It might have been, yeah. Yeah, because that's like I mean, it was, one of the most famous books. And we've read that
0: too. Yeah, yeah I think this, it actually worked for both of my boys. Both mm. of them it, it worked on. my. And I ended up doing it most of the time because my, my ex-wife thought it was insane to wake up a sleeping baby and she wouldn't do it. So when I was home from the fire department at night, I would I would make sure I'd get up and I'd just take him out of the crib and put the bottle in his mouth and he would just sleep right through it. And then yeah. they were both like seven weeks we were sleeping through the night. That's awesome. Yes, yeah.
1: that's fantastic. For like the
0: five or six hours or whatever you get. Yeah. And looking at the at uh, your background, I feel like we have a you and I have a lot in common. So you you were a former police officer. Yeah. For the Queensland Police, I was a yeah. firefighter. We both worked in public service. Firefighters are a little better than police officers, but you know we're both <laughs> kind of on the same on the same scale. Yeah, you definitely get
1: more perks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people like us better. People definitely uh, like me better and uh both have three sons and like there's all these similarities until we get to uh, Erica wrote down for I me mean, that your hobbies are uh surfing and mixed martial arts and that's really where we 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 depart company i mean i'm more into like drinking cheap beer and expensive whiskey and i'm pretty good at cornhole uh <laughs> and you do you do mis- mixed well, martial arts and surfing no
1: well um I, I was doing it um i i still watch Mixed martial arts, you know, the UFC and stuff. And I was doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and, um, yeah, some stuff like that. But, uh, my schedule got a bit hectic. So, cause I work full time as well. The The podcast is just a part time thing for me. So, yeah, so I, um, I got a bit hectic there with time. So now I'm not doing the, the mixed martial arts or the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I want to get back into it. But, uh, yeah, and surfing. Um, I, we only live like one oh one point two oh, 1.2 Ks from the beach or something. So, yeah, we try and get out as much as we can, and yeah, it's pretty awesome here. I still can't surf. I've been <laughs> surfing for twenty years, but I I, talk, <laughs> I tell people it's my first time, and they go, "Oh, you're doing pretty good for your first time." And <laughs> <I> mean, <yeah. laughs> so, what, what do you do
0: now? So, you're no, you're no longer a police officer. You're obviously not retired. You're too young. So, like, what yeah. what was the depart from the police department, and what do you do now full time?
1: Well, when I left the place, I just had like a bit of a burnout. eh? like, I just wasn't. I just didn't care anymore. I wasn't dealing with it. Um, so I, I left the police, kind of like impulsively. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Um, but my family has a business where they make soap, and um, my parents started it back in two thousand and four. They make soap and and beauty products and bath products and that sort of thing. And then they have a factory nearby here, and we just dis- distribute it across the world. And yeah, so that's what I do now. Oh, is
0: it, is it a soap that we might be familiar with here in the states?
1: Uh, it's called the soap bar. We do sell to people in the states, but it's it's yeah, it's not very. Our market isn't very big there. It's mainly here and New Zealand and Japan. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. So I went from um fighting crime to fighting grime. <laughs> that's not. The, I I feel like that's not the first time you've ever used that line. No, my senior sergeant used that when I when I told him I quit, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I can't I can't claim the credit for that one. <laughs> so you're fighting
0: you're fighting grime now um i had the you know, th- there was a time was, i'm i'm classic for starting projects and not finishing them and there was a time when i was because I, I did i was 16 years in the fire department and then i was just completely burned out with it and then i just sort of impulsively like really impulsively quit hmm. for me it was early retirement because i was vested but i was 10 you know 10 years early uh from my retirement but uh it, it was. I was at one point. I, would, I was going to write a book, uh, and I had it all figured out. It was. I was going to call it Reignited, and I feel like you have the kind of the same thing, which was you know, in uh, in uh, in firefighting, like the worst thing that can ever happen is they call it a rekindle, where you know a building's on fire and you put it out and you think it's out and you leave and then it rekindles and starts back up. Uh, again. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I had this whole like metaphor worked out how I just got so burned out in the fire service, and then like. The, the, the podcasting and trying to help with uh, you know, bring awareness to these cases and investigate these cases kind of like reinvigorated my my sense of purpose mm-hmm. but I didn't write it I just talk about it every once in a while about the idea that someday you, maybe you should. I should write
1: that <laughs> you should be because that's a really good um, <laughs> that's a really good analogy and a good title you should take it before someone else takes that well now I've ruined it. I told everybody now on the, <laughs> on the
0: show somebody else is going to write my book yeah. about my life story uh, yeah. I, w- yeah, I always think, like,
1: who the hell cares about my life story? You know, I'll sell f- 15 copies for the people that care. I think everybody's got a story. And uh, that's, yeah, that's something I've learned in my podcasting journey because I've done those two true crime ones and now I'm doing a mental health podcast. So I talk uh-huh. to people and they give me their life story and what, you know, and um, yeah, it doesn't matter who you are. Everyone's got a story. And it's if you just listen, it's usually pretty interesting.
0: Well, and, and I think that in in today's world, there's so many opportunities that those stories are more common. Those those reignition stories where people are just burned out in what they're doing, and you know, the generation before us that, that you know that's what you did. You stayed, yeah, you stick in your, in your job, job yeah, you, yeah, forever, hmm. and you don't, especially. You know, like like you and I who had like the you know, the the great government jobs where, you know, I don't know how it is in Australia, but in the United States, it's like, oh, you got a pension mm. and you've got insurance and you've got all this great stuff. Why would you ever leave that job? And it's cause I'm just I'm I'm sick of I'm sick of dead people every day that I'm at work. It just it just yeah, wears yeah. you out. You know? And mm. uh but but you know, there's you know with you know we both work in the space of content creation of you know you know there, but there's people that are making youtube videos and podcasts and and there's just so many avenues for people to just start over and the world's getting smaller people people can make their own soap and leave their job and start yeah. over and yeah. your competitors those assholes yeah <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's. I totally agree. And um, yeah, y- yeah, I had that creative itch as well, and I didn't know where to start. Do I do a YouTube video? Do I do a book? Do I do a journal? Do I do a blog? I don't know. Uh-huh. So I just the podcast is what kind of drew me in, and that's what I what I did. So yeah, very similar to you in that in that regard.
0: That's also awesome. so. You you back in in 2019. Now, was that when you left the police department, or had you been out for a while in 2019 when you started?
1: I started my new job in 2017. So, okay. And then I've been yeah, thinking about that one case for a few years and yeah, that's when I decided to get into it. Yeah, and you went all the way I mean you you started in
0: 2019, you didn't just start the podcast, but you started your own media production company. It's called 610 Media. I'm ass- I'm assuming that 610 is so in the United States we have uh, we call them 10 codes. It's like 10-4, 10-41 yep. and so on and so forth. Uh is is 610 a uh, uh, police code is, is it that yeah. kind of, is, back to that lingo
1: yeah it's a it's a police code um the queensland police job code for community assistance so it's 610 yeah so yeah that's i don't know we just thought that was at the time i was with um another co-host and he was next police officer as well tom and we just thought Mm -hmm. it was a it was a good name you know we're doing a community assistance and yeah some people might just uh disagree with that yeah, I th- doing what you were doing, we're just bringing awareness to cases that kind of went forgotten, and especially Kira McLaughlin's case. So nothing was ever done about it, really. So
0: yeah, and it, it's an interesting case too. And you, so you you start this this media company, and you you launch into this podcast, and you, and it, it's it's a long form. The podcast is called Beanham Valley Road. Yeah, uh, and it was actually a case that you had responded to as an officer. I want to back up. It just kind of got my train of thought back. Uh, what I was what I was about to ask you is, you, know, you said you had another former police officer. I'm I'm curious if the, because policing is 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 very different, I would think, in Australia than it is in the United States. For one, um, you guys have a lot less guns all over all over your streets um, mm. than we have here for police to deal with. But is 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 turnover rate common in the in Australian police departments? Because because in the United States it is kind of like I was the in any kind of public service I was. Like the 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 outlier, because I actually left. No one does that. Right. Is that the case in Australia or is it or do you see more turnover?
1: I think I think um in previous generations, you know, no, you wouldn't see a turnover. Uh, mm-hmm. but these these days it's quite common for people to go on not so much the fire is I think once you get in there, <laughs> you stay there. Get, sleep, get paid to sleep uh, yeah yeah it's just a good gig and uh, they don't get paid as much but they do a different roster they do four days on four days off well in queensland anyway and yeah you get you get to exercise and get paid to and you know all that sort of stuff but with the police yeah there is a bit of a turnover and it's not so much i think it's in that first five years type thing um because it might not be what someone thought it was or right you, you you might want to go like i w- i wanted to go to dog squad and i was doing all the right things and i was um you know just following that um that career path but and i was fostering dogs and raising them and that sort of thing but at the end of the day you've got to move away to get that job you can't just stay where i am on the sunshine coast which is like paradise and expect to get that job there's only six dogs here on the coast and those guys aren't going anywhere so sure You'd have to move away from it, and then you know my my kids and my wife's got a business here, she's happy here, she doesn't want to move to some remote place just for me to do that job um I mean she would, but I didn't want to mm-hmm. drag her around the country, so I kind of just decided well, I don't want to do general duties forever, and that's why I pulled the pin
0: yeah and that five years makes sense too because what i what I have seen in the years I was at, on the fire department is you know, a, a lot of, I've, I'm in a smaller, more rural area where we're oftentimes supplemented by either paid on call firefighters or part-time firefighters, you know, the guys that don't have the benefits and the pension and everything else that still have other full-time jobs. And that I've always, when I was when I was teaching stuff in the fire service a lot, I would always talk about that five-year mark that, you know, it at it, it five years, you're a firefighter. It, mm. For the first five years, you're on the fire department because it's the same thing. You know, people, their expectations of what it means to be a firefighter is very different, and you know, we would lose guys all the time and they're their, you know their first ever fire you know they, they've seen it on TV and they they think they know what it's like and you know they they watch the movie Backdraft and you know the, yeah you know, Kurt Russell walking around with flames at his feet and rescuing people out then the first time they get into a fire and it's real hot, it hurts even through your gear, it's burning your skin and it's black and you can't see anything. And they're just like, what the hell? This is not what I thought this was. And then (laughs) you come back and there's a pile of gear sitting in the locker room and that's it. I'm done.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't, and over here people quit because, well, they get bored. Yeah. You know, uh, they, I don't know. uh, Yeah. Over here, it's, I don't know if it's the same over there, but over here it's combined um, fire and rescue. So if you're a firefighter here, you're also like trained in full rescue, like, you know, yeah. cliff rescue or you know anything yeah, to do with rescuing. Here. Yeah so because I look, if there was just fires there wouldn't be enough work to do. Like there's, mm-hmm. You know especially we don't have the population in a big like we're not a big city. So yeah. yeah. And, and here the big thing is most firefighters too and another thing you see with a lot of the
0: old timers would leave is over the last two decades that, that they've combined uh, emergency medical care with the fire service too for the same reason because you know you get paid you're paid to be there and fight a fire when people need you but then people start looking it's like, well, we're also paying you for 22 hours a day when there's nothing on fire. Uh, hmm. so they want you to do, to do more. And a lot of those guys are, you know, same thing. I didn't sign up, I didn't sign up to be a, uh, an EMT on an ambulance. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, they're definitely firefighters here are definitely jacks of all trades. And then you're seeing to now a lot of, um, in smaller areas, it's either real small areas or real big areas where they're combining police and fire, where they're cross-training, where the the police officers are actually carrying fire gear in their trunk, and they would respond to calls. You know, the firefighters would go there with the trucks. They'd respond as manpower and, and one of those things that, that sounds good on paper, but nobody likes that. No, wow. Cops don't want to be firemen, and firemen don't want to be cops. Wow.
1: I never thought that would happen, but there you go. That's- it doesn't happen in 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 uh, in Australia, huh? No, I mean we police police go to every job that a firefighter would go to. Like we go to all the fires and mm-hmm. same with an ambulance. Ambulance, we go to or paramedics, we go to a lot of their jobs. There's a lot of paramedics call for service. And where they need help with a, you know, irate patient or just a uneasy situation or, or mental health or threatening suicide, whatever. But yeah, we so we go to we go to every job. Like, the police go to every job and not they're not just reactive, they're proactive. You have to be out and about. Uh, over right. here, you can, it's called a random breath test. You can pull anyone over, anywhere, anytime. You don't need um, a reason. You don't need probable cause. Just pull over and, yeah. So, we have to be out and about. We have to Ooh. show the flag. We have to, yeah, breath test people, uh, just be in public, do walkthroughs. Yeah, just be around. So not only that, but you've got the reactive side of things too. And it just doesn't stop. So you spread thin. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I could I could see that burnout factor
0: working its way in there. Now before we talk about this this case, so you've um the case we're talking about today is from your podcast, Beanham Valley Road, which launched in twenty nineteen, I think, and, and it was primarily in twenty nineteen, right? With with updates kind of correct. along the way. Yeah, correct. It's a long form show, uh, similar to truth and justice where it's an investigative, uh, show where yep. you're investigating the same case for the whole season. There's what, 12 main episodes mm-hmm. and you know, like 15, some bonuses yeah. or something like that. Yep. But you, you, since then you've released other ones where you have in 2020, uh, you released a new podcast
1: called who killed, Le, uh, who killed Leanne Holland. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a 12. another long form? Yeah. It's 15 episodes. Um, we're about to be 16. Yeah, that's a. Uh, I teamed up with another ex cop and another private investigator uh, who reached out to me from listening to Beanham Valley Road. And, you know, he was, you know, he's a fair bit older than me. So he's, you know, retired. But he was hired as a private investigator to look into this case because this case is a very controversial uh, murder of a 12 year old girl in 1991 in a little area called Goodner, which is just outside of uh, Brisbane. And it was really controversial and a lot of people with a lot of opinions about it. Uh, But, yeah, he reached out and he knows a lot about the case. And, yeah, we did a a deep dive into that one, which was quite hectic, (laughs) to be honest.
0: (laughs) Nice. And then you have another podcast that's about to be released or is going to be releasing soon called Cop That.
1: Yeah, well, that was an idea I had ages ago, and I started recording it like two years ago. And it's just like where I tell, I interview ex police officers, and I I get their stories, like their their heroic, hilarious, and um horrific stories, uh, and what it is to be a cop, and what they encounter on a daily basis. And it was just about uh, um, educating the public, but also good for these guys to vent and you know tell their stories. Sure. And, but just as I was about to release it, um, everything happened um, over. In your neck of the woods, you know, with uh, with George Floyd and yeah, you know,
0: and he kind of shined a light on all kinds of problems.
1: Exactly, and I I hundred percent agree with that that the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, I think it's mm-hmm. disgraceful how that happens in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty whenever it was, um, and it's still happening. And we do have that issue here. It's not on the same scale, but we do have it. And I. The name cop that sounded like I was, I don't know, a, a, a retaliation to that movement, and I didn't want to be seen sure. that way, so I just put it on hold. Yeah,
0: God, that that's a smart move. Yeah, because it's yeah, it would it would it would probably even though it's not the point of it, it would probably come across as being being a little tone deaf at that time. Exactly. Do you have plans to to release it upcoming, or are you still
1: just leaving it in the can until you feel it's right the right time? Uh yeah I mean, I spoke to a couple of people like p r people who deal with me, and they said that should be fine if you do a statement now and you know pretty soon to release it, just that it's you know nothing to do with that. it's just unfortunate timing right. that i that I went to release it just as that was blowing up and sure. you know we have we have that the issue over here with you know indigenous deaths in custody and that sort of thing as well um but yeah, definitely George Floyd. That was that was huge over here. And yeah, mm-hmm. it just wouldn't have been smart for me to release it, even though I was not trying. I was just, all I was trying to do is just get these stories out there. But yeah, I didn't want to do anything. It's tough because
0: I feel like you're trying to do a good thing. You know, I, yeah, I've i always said on, you know, from listening to Truth and Justice that that nobody hates a bad cop worse than a good cop. And I found that to be you know true for the the six years almost seven years that I've been that I've been doing this is there are a lot of people think that I'm anti-law enforcement or you know one of the questions you know that people always ask me is well, I bet cops hate you and and the response is no like we have a lot of cop listeners and a lot of cops love what we do because you know they, this when we're when we're exposing corrupt police officers that's you know that that is they want that they don't want those the good cops don't want the bad cops in there no no. And you're, you're trying to, through, through Cop Out, trying to give an opportunity for some of those good cops that are doing it right to be able to tell their stories. And uh, I'm looking forward to it when, it when it finally comes out. Yeah. And then, and then you also said you're, you're working on a... Um,
1: mental uh, mental a, a health. Mental health? Yeah. What's that one? That one's called Tear It Down. And it was actually in, in Bean and Valley Road in 2019 where uh, someone close to me was going through a real rough time yeah uh, with their mental health and myself and my co-host at the time Tom who hadn't left by this point we decided to do our own bonus episode called tear it down on the bean and valley road feed where we just told our own issues you know and i've had issues mm-hmm. of anxiety and i've had one pretty bad bout of depression years ago um i've had anxiety and and he had ptsd and uh ocd so we just shared it all like no holds bar and um Yeah, the response was amazing. We had so many people, like to this day, it's probably the number one commented episode that I get messages about. So I just thought, you know what? I'm going to do a show based on this whole subject. And I just speak to people, you know, actors, comedians, athletes, whoever, and get their story. And um, yeah, it's been really good so far. But I'm just about to wrap up season one because we're, uh, yeah, I'm going to do another true crime podcast soon. Wow. And you just, you did never stop. <laughs> well, I'm only going to do one at a time. I've learned that lesson one at a time now. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know how you do it,
0: but I think that, that, that's a, that's such a great thing to take. I, I think what you're doing takes away some of the stigma that, that comes along with a lot of mental illness for people to hear, especially for people to hear like you, you're, you're interviewing celebrities and, and, and actors and actresses yeah. and, for, you know, the, the people that a lot of us sit back and think, well, they've got it all together and that's who we're aspiring to be, to be like, you know, the, you're not alone when you have some, when you have issues. Because no, the, exactly. You know, even these people with all their money, fame, and fortune have mm. just, as, just
1: as many. Exactly. Uh, so that's
0: great. And That's called tear it down.
1: Tear it down. Yeah, exactly. And the idea is the more we talk about it, the more it normalizes it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and if you, and if you can talk about it, then so can someone else. So that's the idea of it.
0: Yeah, I love it. Well, man, you are a workhorse, and, and and the case you wanted to talk about today is all the way back from your first podcast from Beanham Valley Road, yeah, uh, and that is the the case of is it Kira McLaughlin? Kira McLaughlin McLaughlin, McLaughlin okay. Yep. And, and This was a case that you actually responded to. You you met Kira at yeah. one point while on the road, so if you can kind of explain the case and sure and and what you did with it,
1: yeah. So back in 2014, I was working in Gympie Police Station, which was about an hour north of where I am now. It's quite a small little rural place. And it gets a bit of a bad rap, you know. People say, oh, Gimpy have two, people have two heads in Gympie, you know, that sort of thing. Like, <laughs> just like one of those kind of towns. Um, but, you know, it's a nice little place. And I was working and I had a senior officer with me, a uh, senior constable, and we got a call um, to be valley road. And it was a domestic violence call, uh, where, um, from memory, Kira had actually called the police saying that you know her husband or her boyfriend had gone off, quote unquote. So we we drive out to Benin Valley Road, hence the name. And when I get there, you know she's standing uh, on the on the driveway, and I say, well, what what's happened? And she says, oh, nothing. I shouldn't have called you. And I say, well. Why'd you call us? Uh, oh, it was nothing. I shouldn't have called you. Did he threaten you? No. Did he hurt you? No. Did he threaten the kids? No. Did he hurt the kids? No. Ask all the questions. Uh, we do a property search. There's no property damage. There's no obvious signs of physical violence to her to or towards the kids. So we look for him, but he's fled. He's legged it. And there's a lot of, there's like, you know, it's a massive property. It's massive. Mm-hmm. So he just legged it somewhere in the middle of the bush. Couldn't find him, and she didn't want to give a statement. So what do you do? And there's no obvious signs right. of, of violence, so we have to just walk away. Obviously, we, we report on it, but we can't charge him with anything um, because there was nothing there to to go on. And so we left, and uh, basically six months later, she was dead. And she – so one night in – which rocked me, by the way – because, yeah, I kind of You recognised her when you found out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I was in the station when I heard and I thought, oh, shit. Because, you know, we're, we're called to help these people. And this one slept through the cracks. I mean, there's nothing you can... A piece of paper isn't going to stop anyone anyway. But it's still, it's still just the idea that you might have let someone down. And she had four kids. And so basically, to give you a story... A long story into a short podcast. She, in in July t- 2014, uh, nine months earlier, actually, sorry, she had broken up with her husband and the father of her kids. Um, I think she was just looking for something else in a bad stretch of her life. And she met this other dude um, who I was calling Jason in the podcast because we didn't name him for obvious reasons, but now the coroner has just determined... You know, I'll get to that later. But the coroner has named him, so I'm going to name him. His name's Paul McDonald, and he's a bad piece of work. He's got f- over 50 convictions for de- domestic violence, and um, yeah, he's he's got history.
0: And did so, did you guys she, have access to to those records when you when you went on the call?
1: Uh yeah. Um, he didn't have that many convictions when I when I dealt with him. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, we have all the information, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but again, you you can't just go on the past. You got to have. Well, You're handcuffed in the situation. It's, it's
0: like I can only imagine how frustrating that is when you. I'm sure you had the intuition to know something's not right here. Oh, of course, yeah, and you still you're report not able on to it. Do anything about it?
1: Exactly. So you still report on it. Um. So it's there forever. But you, you just can't take. You just can't charge him with anything. But you still acknowledge something happened. And and he's he's he was charged after that though, you know, after my incident, he was still charged with something else. But anyway, so she moved in he moved in with her, and the kids went to live with the father, and and then he was violent and stuff started escalating, and then they had a party, like a bit of a gathering on on this one night. And I think from all accounts we've heard, she just Kira just had enough and and basically told him that she didn't love him anymore, and she wants him out. She wants to get back together with her husband, and she got into a fight with um, Paul's sister who was there, Tamika, who I also interviewed, and you know Tamika um, hit her back four times. And anyway, they all left the party. They all left the house, and it was just her and Paul, and it, it's. It gets a bit murky from here, but basically, she gets knocked out at some point, and he can't wake her up. And he decides to wait until 2 p.m. the next day before he calls for medical help. And yeah, by that time, it's too late. So they take her to the hospital. Uh, She's got 105 bruises on her body, and she was basically in a coma when she was leaving Gimpy basically brain dead. And they flew her down to to the Gold Coast University Hospital um, where there was basically nothing they could do and they had to turn the life support off. And, you know, Paul had told the the paramedics that she had taken an overdose of antidepressants and she got in a fight with his sister. But there was no evidence in the toxicology report that there was an antidepressant overdose. So that leaves... (laughs) One scenario that she was bashed to death. Right. And the coroner, anyway, so that went out, nothing ever happened with it. Her death was ruled suspicious. And that's why I decided to do the podcast. And then five years, six years later, just last year and this year, the coroner held an inquiry into her death. And the state coroner heard from many different witnesses, like neurologists and, um, you know, scientists, and they, and medical people, and they determined, the coroner determined that the injuries inflicted by the boyfriend on Kira killed her. So, it's a huge step forward for us. Now, we're just hoping that someone gets charged. Well, i.e. Paul, but he hasn't been charged yet. And to be clear,
0: because uh, this came up with another um, Australian show we did, the, the what we think of here in the United States as a coroner is a very different person in the legal system in Australia. Right. it's it, they call it what a coroner's inquest and they're, they're yep. I mean, they're they're basically detectives at that
1: point, right? Yeah. So, a coroner is usually a judge or a magistrate and mm-hmm. this was the state coroner and every every violent or non-natural death gets reported to the coroner, always. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got to report to the coroner. For a big thing like this, the coroner will determine how somebody dies. That's her job or their job. And they do that by getting all the statements involved. They interview people. They have the power to compel people to speak, um, and they also get uh, witnesses who actually know what they're talking about. So she had, you know, bleeding in the brain, and that's then swelling in the brain. So they get people who who are trained in that, and they look at that. And then she makes after after hearing all the evidence, she makes her determination on how that person died. Um, but it's on the balance of probabilities it's not mm-hmm. not the same as criminal court where it's beyond reasonable doubt so that's the difference so she can determine how she died but she can't determine be, for the level of burden of proof which is beyond reasonable doubt does that make sense
0: yeah, yeah yeah and so then it would turn into who who takes it from there so in this case the coroner has decided this was a homicide then then who is the next person in the line that that could bring charges against Paul? Yeah,
1: so it has to be the the, the Queensland police. Okay. Uh so the homicide squad are reviewing it now. And the attorney general is involved as well. They're reviewing it. Um so yeah. Um that they're the people who can bring charges, I guess. And the prosecutor, they'll they'll be liaising. So, over here, we have police prosecutors as well. So, you're actually a police officer. I don't know if you have the same over there, but they're a police officer. And then they go into prosecution. Oh, and no, definitely the pub- not here. <laughs> yeah, but we also have public prosecutors as well. Um, okay. So, yeah, it's probably a bit different. But, yeah, that's kind of where we're at at the moment. So, she didn't make any recommendations for him to be charged, which we thought was strange. But I think she just left it to the police to carry on. And I don't think the police did a bad job or anything. Um, I just think it's hard to get that level of proof, and maybe they didn't have it, but I think certainly now, after, like, the coronial, there's definitely, I, I think there's, I think put it to a jury.
0: Yeah, and and uh, you strike me as the kind of guy that doesn't like to brag, so I'm going to do it for you, but the, the it, it's, it seems pretty obvious that your podcast is what brought attention to this, that they got this case back in the... Back in front of the the corner for the inquest and, and brought all the attention to it and and I know that Kira's mother allison attri- d- d- directly yeah directly attributes the fact that there's been movement on the case and that it's now been ruled a homicide. she directly attributes that to your podcast, so i mean that that's a that's a job well done man that's awesome
1: yeah it's it's a great feeling to have to have done something that meant something and you know although when when the reporter reported that. The next day, the coroner said, I've got to address the court here. It's not the podcast that brought on the coronial. I'm the state Uh coroner and I brought it on. And, you know, she wasn't having to dig at me or anything, but she did say, it's my opinion that sometimes, generally speaking, podcasts and these sorts of things can actually go to undermine the criminal justice system and muddy the waters. So that's what she said in response to that article you just read out but she wasn't having a dig at me because you know what they actually also asked for all my tapes so the coroner you know requested all of my tapes all my interviews and um yeah i happily obliged and gave them all and they referred to them on many times throughout the coronial inquest so that's amazing that you know we're seeing that the states
0: here more and more it started with serial the non Ed case yeah i think that was the first the first time when I was, I was sitting in the courtroom during Ed, Ad- Ednon's habeas hearing and the podcast serial was mentioned by the lawyers, by the judge. So it was like, you know, holy cow. Like this is, this is crazy. Like a podcast, Sarah Koenig, who is not a cop, yeah. not a lawyer, you know, a podcaster it is now part of the record for this case. And, and, and obviously you're in the, the same situation. We're seeing more and more of that. Um, th- that happening now. I'm 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 due hopefully to be testifying in a case. Our season three case where we got a recantation from a witness in the Jesse Eldridge case where I'll be I'll actually be going to be probably testifying in that uh, habeas hearing. So it's is that the West Memphis three? No, no. This is the uh, it was the Jesse Eldridge case, different Jesse. Uh, yeah. The season three case. Um, it was the one where his brother had uh, the the only evidence against him was his brother had testified against him, given false testimony, and then. Yeah talked to me and recanted on the air that and explained why he lied. Uh, And that's been, you know, the Innocence Project and the uh, Conviction Integrity Unit has that case.
1: That might be the season that I missed then.
0: Yeah, it must be. Well, and that was, that update came two years after we ended the season. Yeah. There was still, you know, we're always still working on the cases behind the scenes. And, that you know, that came up and then we dropped the update once it was all in the hands of all the right people. But I think it's just cool to see people outside of law enforcement helping, uh, to try to bring some truth and justice to the the good people that are trying to work f- work towards it. A, a big news story. I don't, I don't know when this is going to air. Erica handle, handles all that. But has the what's big in, in the news here right now uh, is the the Gabby Petito case and and Brian Laundry. Has any of that news made it down to Australia? Is the the young couple where the guy took the van and went across the country and without her, and then they found her a couple
1: weeks later? Yeah, yeah. That's um. That's crazy. Uh, I don't know much about it, but that's ins- that's insane. Yeah.
0: Well, the only reason I brought
1: I brought it up is
0: because there was you know the they had it, it, similar, not the same, not, not really, not even close, but but in in the basic nature of it, the similar circumstances to what you described here uh, with the Kier McLaughlin case is someone called the police for a domestic violence charge with this couple. Uh, in, in Utah while they were traveling and said, I saw him slapping her in the face down the road, and the police responded. And then after this all breaks, and then I don't remember before or after her body was found, the the police released the body cam footage from that. And it's exactly what you just said. And, the, and I think that's something that's worth bringing awareness to is how often, um, and, and it's not to say, you know, certainly in your case, you guys did everything you, you could. Personally, I think the officers in this particular case, the Gabby Petito case, they should have done a better job and seen the signs that that were being uh put out there by by Gabby but you know it was the same thing they were called they show up and you know Gabby said no everything's fine no he didn't hit me and then the police in that case the police kind of then turned it around on her cuz cuz he had some scratch marks on him as though she was the the aggressor even though the 911 call had said very clearly that it was him slapping her as she's walking down the street but it was it was one of those situations where the police you know mm-hmm. they they just, you guys just, you know, everything's fine. Separate for the night. And then, yep. you know, a few days later, she ends up dead.
1: Yeah, that's brutal. I i don't, I would not want to be that police officer. Um, you know, and I didn't have a body-worn camera back then. Um, mm-hmm. Back then, we had to provide our own. If you wanted to record, uh-huh. you had to provide your own, which I did, but that was later. But yeah, at least they had the witness account, the person who called saying, I saw this. You know, that's-, right. that's that's something to go on. Yeah they they had they had enough to go on and
0: in in my, in my opinion you know the cop blew it and there's you know there's something to be said that he's you know that oh they're trying to give him a break it's a young couple they don't want anything but you know there, there, there's too much of that there's 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 too many times where that leads to the death of a woman from mm. at, the, at the hands of their male partners it happens here in the states. All too often, we have a huge problem with oh, you know, underreporting reporting or report, exactly what you just described where they report, the, the manipulation that, that goes on in yeah. a relationship that
1: has that domestic violence. It's out of control. And it's, it's I think the problem actually lies not with the police, or well, obviously it does, um, but it starts much, much earlier than that. And I was thinking about this the other day, how can we educate the people, how can we I don't know, just get into these young males' minds um, because they're more than likely going to be the respondent and mm-hmm. more than likely the female is going to be the aggrieved, um, which is what we call them over here. But when, I don't know, maybe we could go to schools, or you know, in primary school or junior school, as you guys call it, or whatever, and have somebody with lived experience or a police officer or a psychologist or someone come in and talk about what domestic violence is how you should treat somebody, what are the signs you should notice and, you know, to equip these young people who are coming into relationships and they can see the red flags for themselves and know what's happening before it actually gets too out of control because it's hard to leave. That's one thing. I'll, it's really hard to leave. It's not just the, right. the physical abuse, the, the punching or the shoving. It's the mind fuckery that goes with it. And, like, they're master, right. they're master manip- manipulators and they can gas, they gaslight you. They, you know. So the people I've dealt with um, since leaving the police, and I've heard their stories. They actually, you know, feel like they're the ones to blame, you know. And they'll, they'll question their own mm-hmm. truths. And so it goes much deeper than just you know a slap and a push and a hit uh, or a threat. It it comes down to you know coercive behaviour or financial abuse or. Um, sexual abuse, like, you know, they, they think because they're in a de facto relationship, they can have sex with them, but no, you still need consent. And it is rape mm-hmm. if, that, if you don't have consent, even though you're married. Um, and yeah, like not, not allowing people to see their friends or controlling what time they like, checking their phone messages and, you know, um, giving them an allowance and, and not letting them spend, you know, that's all domestic violence. Under our legislation, our Domestic Violence and Family Protection Act, that is domestic violence. So yeah, we're just that's
0: c- that's great, man. Yeah, that that
1: needs to happen here in the states because
0: we're we're so you know there are people like Laura Richards are doing a great job of trying to bring more awareness. And I know she's worked on legislation in the UK. Um, We need more of it here because it's just you know it, it, it's it's a nightmare. And as far as like the education, all I was, so I have I told you I have three boys, but I also have a I have a 15 year old daughter, two stepdaughter, Um, uh, but she's been mine since she was five. She's my daughter. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah. uh she you know as she's going through school like we're constantly teaching her like what is acceptable to accept you know you, you do not accept this behavior from from a boy do not accept and it drives, but but there's a culture there you know it's not directly related to sexual assault or domestic violence but but it's it's in the same vein it, you know they have like our schools have have dress codes yeah and my daughter will will would go to school wearing leggings in a t-shirt and she would get sent you know my wife would get a call like hey you need to bring her a change of clothes she's violating the dress code and they would always use this excuse: well when when she's wearing tight leggings without a shirt covering her butt that it's too distracting for the boys and there's just there's some meta in there that were or it's like why why are we teaching these girls that that it's their fault that 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 the boys behaviors are her responsibility like mm-hmm. it's it's a terrible thing to teach kids and they do, and they do it all the time you know it'll show up and they'll be you know heck in 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 middle school and stuff she she wasn't able to wear a tank top and mm-hmm. now like the rule is well you can wear a tank top as long as your bra strap doesn't show mm-hmm. you know so she's wearing a sports bra under a tank top you know this piece of cotton is okay but the piece of cotton underneath it that's too distracting for the boys. And it's it's <laughs> yeah. kind of a soapbox that I that I get on, but it's but it's but like when I say it's in that same vein is like we're 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 teaching the young girls in our country that it's their fault that the yeah. boys' bad behavior, the boys being distracted, is their fault. It's not the boys' mm. fault. It's also their responsibility. You need to change your behavior in order for. These boys to be able to change their behavior, and then we wonder why we have a domestic violence problem in our country because Mm. these these boys grow up to be adults, the girls grow up to be adults, and and the boys have been taught their whole life that well anything I do wrong is her fault, Mm. you know. So it's you know it it seems a dress code thing doesn't seem like it's connected, but it really is. And it is for sure. Yeah, I'll get off I'll get off my soapbox on it, but it just drives me (laughs) it, it it drives me absolute batshit. And like when I watched that that video with gabby petito it's like no like and i don't know i'm not a cop i don't know what they could have done i don't know when, when she was saying there's nothing that happened but i know from watching and I've, I've i've studied enough behavioral analysis to know that like she's giving you all the signs of someone who is, who is abused mm. who's, who's coercively controlled and is abused like it mm. it's hindsight for us right we know that she ended up murdered but we're just you know when you're watching the video it's just like don't don't leave no do not leave mm. them alone you because know, yeah, we it's all terrible. know that you know, yeah, he ends up ends up killing her. But you know, I I think it's great that you're you're bringing attention to these cases. I think it's it, it, it's it's pretty kick ass. So you started this media company and and you're really thriving. Um, the podcast I want to I want to give you the list again. Uh, you've got the one called Cop That that hopefully will be coming out soon. Uh, you have Tear It Down, which is your mental health podcast. You have Who Killed Leanne Holland, uh, that is another long form show, and then this one. And ladies and gentlemen, his name is Jamie Poles. The podcast is called Beanham Valley Road. Check it out. I'm sure it'll be your next true crime binge. And when you're done with that, check out his other work. Jamie, it's been honestly a real pleasure meeting you. And I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed with your work.
1: No, thank you, Bob, for having me. And like I said, I'm a massive fan of Truth and Justice. Um, and I have been from, you know, season one. So thank you for having me on. When I saw the email saying, would you like to come on the show? I was like a little bit chuffed. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you, and I appreciate it. That right, works.
0: True Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, Please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.